Well, this morning I'd like to read for, for you from uh, Genesis 3, verses 1 to 19. If you want to follow along, uh, please do that. I'm reading from the New King James Version, so it may differ a little bit from the version you have, but uh, I, I think they'll be fairly close. Genesis 3, 1 to 19. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so the woman, when the woman saw that the uh, tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, it was a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called uh, to Adam and said, where are you? And so he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And so the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. And on your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow in your your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. May God bless that reading from his word. Anybody here like books? I love books. I love going to bookshops, and I, I don't know if you've ever noticed that people tend to zero in on their particular favourite area at bookshops. So you'll see some people go to the cookery section. Any cooks here that go to the cookery section? Eh? A few folk, maybe. Some people go to the novels, sci-fi or romantic novels or whatever they might be. 
the classics even. They have various sections in the bookshops. Well, my favourite section is the self-development section. That's where you go and you get uh, you know, 10 tips on being the world's greatest leader. Uh, all sorts of things, you know, nine steps to being financially free. And usually the, the person that writes that book becomes financially free by writing that book. And so really there's no real tips in the book. But usually in this section, most of the, the, the folk who write the book approach things from a very positive point of view. And so one of Stephen Covey's books, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, focusing upon the things that you should do if you want to be successful, effective and efficient in life, more so than you are right now. And so we see a range of different positive approaches. But I think sometimes it's also healthy to have a negative approach to some things, not just the things that you should do, but what are some of the things that we shouldn't do in order to be more successful in life? In fact, if you look at the Ten Commandments, God actually breaks the commandments into those two different approaches. So we find two things that we should do. Commandment number four, keep the Sabbath. Commandment number five, honour your father and your mother. But then the other eight commandments are do not commandments. They're the negative approach. It says do not worship other gods, do not make any idols, uh, do not take the name of the Lord in vain, uh, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not lie, and do not covet. And so God must have seen that there's some uh, practical help that we can gain from both having positive things that you can do and negative things that we need to be aware of and avoid in life. And I think we raise our kids like that. I know when we raised our two girls, there were a lot of positive things that you would say to your children, like, you know, love your mum and your dad. You know, it's the best thing you can do in life. But there are lots of negative things that we might have said, like, don't put your hand on the hot plate for obvious reasons. You probably only do it once and you learn the lesson. And so this week and next week, I want to actually approach from a negative side because I think there are some benefits there that in our reading, there are five different stages that Eve and Adam with her enter into as they move away from their obedience to God to a place of coming under God's judgment. And so these are things that we need to be aware of, like the do not commandments in the Ten Commandments, things that we need to be aware of in life so that we don't actually short-circuit God's plan for our life. Because I think there are many, many Christians who can get taken off the track away from God's plan for their life because they are doing things they shouldn't do. And so that they may be reading the Bible, but they may also be reading pornography. You might say, oh, that couldn't possibly happen. Well, I know it does happen. I've talked to men who've been bound up in that way. They can one moment, they can read the Bible. The next moment, they can be watching pornography. So our, our heart is, is in a condition of both having the nature of God, but also there's a fallenness about it. You know, we're in a process of being sanctified. And so we see here in Genesis 3 the first occasion of sin in the world when Eve sinned and Adam sinned. And so what I want to set out today in these, or three of the stages today and two next week, are the stages that we need to avoid. And it's very interesting, these five stages are seen also in the life of King David as he sinned with Bathsheba. 
and also Achan. Remember Achan as they were going into the land, the promised land, and God said, when you go to Jericho, destroy everything. But he took some of the precious stuff and it ended up when they went to the next town of Ai, they were defeated because of his disobedience. And we find the five stages there as well. And so stage one that we'll see in the life of Eve, it's very simple. It's even something that we could just gloss over. And it was the fact that Eve was in the wrong place. I know I've seen this with some children, and I, I probably have done that. If my mother was alive, she'd probably testify to it. That when you tell the child not to touch something, what is it they want to do? They want to go up and say, don't touch that. And they go up and they go like that. There's just something in us that wants to go against the, the commandment of our parents, uh, the things that God tells us to do. So what made this a wrong place for Eve? Well, she went near to the tree that had the fruit that God said, you can't eat that. I don't want you to eat that. Don't eat that. It's a command. And she went into a, a place of making herself vulnerable to temptation. I mean, it wasn't as if she didn't have options. The whole garden was filled with trees, and yet God said, see that one tree there? Don't eat the fruit off that tree. And that's where she was. And that's where the serpent turns up to tempt Eve. It's very interesting. At that place of being in the wrong place, that's where the enemy's there to tempt her. So she went to the wrong place. But sometimes in life, we end up, <clears throat> pardon me, in the wrong place because we're not going to the right place. We know we should be doing something. We know we should be in some positive place because we don't go there it ends up that where we are becomes a negative place. And we see that in the life of King David. I, I think it's such a powerful story. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Listen to the words of this story. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab. But David remained at Jerusalem. So at the time when David, his duty as the king was to be at the front of the line out there fighting. Wouldn't it be a different world today if all of our top generals had to be at the front of the line and not sitting back in some little office sending somebody else? But David sent Joab when he should have been out there. And then at the very, <coughs> pardon me, the very beginning of verse 2, it says this impacting three words. Then it happened. Then it happened that David woke up and he went out into the veranda and he saw Bathsheba bathing and so it went downhill from there. Because he didn't go to the place he was supposed to, because he wasn't fulfilling his duty as the king, he ended up being in the wrong place. He probably wasn't even thinking about that. He was probably thinking, oh, I need to have a break now. And Wouldn't it be great as parents, you know, two o'clock in the morning when you, your child's screaming for food or something, you say, no, I want to have a break now. Be great to have a break. And so King David ended up being in the wrong place because he didn't go directly to the right place. He didn't fulfill his duty as a king. There was one particular occasion when President uh, Woodrow Wilson, one of his friends, came up to him and said, look, take the day off. Let's go and do some activity that he knew that this president would love to do. And uh, he said, come on, let's just take the day off and go out. You deserve a rest. 
And the president replied and said to him, my boss won't let me do it. And this guy thought, who is the boss of the president of the United States? There's nobody. And he said, well, who is this boss? And, and the president said to him, my conscience won't let me do it. My conscience is my boss. I have a duty for, for, to fulfill. And so he stayed there to fulfill his duty. And we have duties to fulfill as Christians. Sometimes we aren't in the right place. Being in the right place is reading God's word. Being in the wrong place is reading pornography. And sometimes because we don't read the word of God, we can gravitate to being in the wrong place. It's every Christian's responsibility to gather with other Christians. Would you agree with that? We gather together for worship, for prayer, for studying God's word, for fellowship with one another, to be involved in mission and evangelism. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. And so there were some people who were just saying, oh, have you ever felt like this? You woke up and you thought, oh, I don't want to go to church today. Oh, I just, just want to stay home and just relax. And, and it can become a habit. And we've, we've known people who've been in that situation where just one week leads to another week and all of a sudden months passed and, and we haven't had fellowship with other Christians. And I've had young people say to me, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And I say, I agree with you. I agree with you. But if you want to grow as a Christian and fulfil God's destiny and plan for you, you will be in fellowship with other Christians, whether it's in a church building, in a home group, like in China where they're persecuted for their faith, that you will gather with other Christians for worship, for prayer, for the study of God's word, for evangelism, for fellowship. If you don't put yourself in the right place, you'll end up in the wrong place. And some have said to me, it's just Jesus and me, just like that. Jesus and I, just like that. We don't need anybody else. And I always say, well, hang on a minute. When you become a Christian, you become part of a family of God. And you're saying you don't want to be with the members of the family. Well, maybe sometimes thinking of families, we think, oh, yeah, I'd rather not be with the members of the family. But God calls us to gather together. And if we don't put ourselves in that right place, it's amazing how very quickly days and weeks and months and years can pass. And I've known people who've experienced this. Say, so I just don't go to church anymore. I just don't pray anymore. I don't read the word. I don't worship and fellowship with other Christians. And I've ended up in that place because I didn't go to the right place. So being in the wrong place is the very first step on a pathway down to being under the judgment of God. And Eve found that out. It's the first stage. Now, the second stage actually has three parts. I did have a PowerPoint this morning just to have the, the points up there, but... Something happened on the flash drive, so maybe I'll have it for next week. Maybe get that together. The second stage in this journey of Eve and David and Achan, as they went from being in the will of God to being under the judgment of God, number one, being in the wrong place. Number two, and we see this in Genesis 3.6. I'll read this for you. When the woman saw 
that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And there are three different parts to this stage. She saw, she coveted, and she took. She saw, she coveted, and she took. And it's very interesting. John, in 1 John 2.16, brings these three together. He says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, that is, it's good for food, the lust of the eyes, pleasant to the eyes for Eve, and the pride of life, desirable to make one wise, comes not from the Father, but from the world. And so these three together are very much a very subtle way in which we can go off the track. The things that we look at, she saw, can become things that we covet or desire or lust after, and so we take it. And in fact, if we look at Joshua 7.21, these three are emphasised there in Achan's downfall. Pardon me. This is what Achan said to Joshua, and Joshua said, tell me what you've done. And he said in Joshua 7.21, when I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, silver and a wedge of gold, I coveted, coveted them, and then I took them. The same three steps. I saw, I coveted, I took And that's exactly what happened to King David too. He went out into the veranda and he saw Bathsheba bathing. He saw her. And that really wasn't something that, you know, it it can happen. Accidentally, it could happen. He should have turned and walked away. But he began looking at her, longing for her. It became a desire and then he took her. Prolonged looking at forbidden things can give birth to lust, which gives birth to to sinful action. So for those who might be caught up in pornography, and I've talked to, to some folk who've been in this situation, it becomes like an addiction caught up in that. It grips their heart and their mind. They keep looking at it, and be, the looking at it creates the, the lust or the covetousness for it, and it leads to all sorts of sinful action. James 1, 14 to 15 says, Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Again, just going back to David on the veranda here. Then it happened, those three words at the beginning of verse 2. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and he walked on the roof of the king's house and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So obviously he stood there for a while beholding her. Then David sent messengers and took her. It was an opportunity for David to win a personal victory, to say, whoops, I've walked into a situation, I shouldn't be here, to turn around and walk out. But he continued to look at her. There's nothing wrong with appreciating the beauty of creation and people in creation and he was a situation where it went over the line the woman firstly she was naked she shouldn't have been in in that position and he shouldn't have been uh, in a position of staying there he should have turned and walked away and sometimes we get things mixed up we 
we think that we should flee the devil and try to resist temptation. But the Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say flee from the devil. It never says resist temptation. What the Bible tells us to do is to resist the devil and flee temptation the other way around. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Flee youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness. And then in James 4.7, it says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So we're called to resist the devil, not flee from him. And we're called to flee from temptation, not try to resist it, because we stand in that situation. And maybe what was going through David's mind as he looked at Bathsheba bathing was that I shouldn't really be doing this. Uh, you know, get away from me, Satan. Get a, what he needed to do was get out of the situation. Katie Burton, who's a researcher in the connection between pornography and uh, all sorts of other uh, activities like sex trafficking, says this after many years of research. Pornography is a fuel which creates and drives the demand for human sex trafficking. And so there's things that happen. Pornography leads to something else, to something else, to something else. What we look at, what we allow our eyes, and Scripture tells us, be careful what your eyes look at, what you continue to look at. Because your eyes, as they look at those things that are at times forbidden, create thoughts and emotions that can lead to lusts and covetousness that ultimately lead to action of some sort. You may have heard this little saying at some point in your journey, sow a thought and reap an action. Sow an action and reap a habit. Sow a habit and reap a character. Sow a character and reap a destiny. What we allow our eyes to look at See, Eve saw, David saw, Achan saw. And they should have then gone from that seeing and left it, but they continued to look. And that created the lust or the covetousness. So, you know, when we go outside and we see that our neighbour's got a, um, a Maserati car and I'm driving a VW or some beaten up old car and you look at it and you think, oh, I really like that car. You know, and you know, one day I'd like to have a car. And it can grip our heart. It can be something as simple as that. But it can be many, many things in life that people are driven by looking at certain things and continuing to look. And so whole generations of people who look at certain singers and, and people who are in, in uh, movies and say, I want to be like that. And so in saying that, what they're saying is, I'm not happy with how God has made me. God has made me this way, but I'm not happy. I want to be like Beyonce. I want to be built like Arnold Schwarzenegger or whatever it might be. And people are driven, pursuing things, coveting things because they're not happy with who God has made them. When Paul says, I have learnt to be content. You know, we often hear in the church a message of, of gospel prosperity or prosperity through the gospel that says, you know, you can be rich. You should be rich. You, you deserve to be rich. And the scripture tells us, do not pursue riches. If God blesses us with riches, that's wonderful. 
But know that there's always a responsibility. Whatever God gives to us, there's the expectation from God that we're going to use that for his kingdom. And it's very interesting. I was just watching in the last uh, couple of days the nomination for the new uh, seat on the um, Supreme Court in America. And the, the young woman that has been, um, well, middle-aged woman, it depends how long you live, I guess, it's whether it's middle-aged. Uh, the, the young lady who's been nominated is a Catholic lady. And, and uh, when interviewed uh, at one point said, all of this justice stuff and what we do is about one thing, bringing God's kingdom to this earth. And whoa, all of the media backed off and said, what? We don't want someone like that in the Supreme Court, you know? We want somebody who's got no morals and no ethics and doesn't believe in a God. And, you know, that's the impact of what they're saying. Anybody with any belief system or, or uh, uh, values in life based on the scriptures, they don't want to know about it. But that's the world we live in. The things that we look at will affect us. We see, we covet, and we will eventually take. Again, I've seen a number of articles in which, sadly enough, young men who've been addicted to pornography end up raping women. Because the, the viewing of pornography creates such a lust and desire in their heart that at some point there's going to be action. So stage two, after being in the wrong place, Eve saw, she coveted, and she took. Stage three we see the very first consequence of her action, and that is a change within her own heart. Verse 7, then, then, that's after the saw, coveted and took, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. Their movement from being in a state of innocence to being in a state of sinfulness. And I'm sure Adam and Eve didn't realise the consequences. Maybe they, they heard that, yes, there would be some consequence because God had said, in the day that you eat, you will die. They, they knew it. But the experiential aspect of that, the part in their own heart where they thought, I really, really know what the consequences are going to be, they didn't. Because as soon as they sinned, their eyes were opened and there was a change within them. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, the love of money is a root of all evil. While coveting after money, some have strayed from the faith and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. How sad it is. The moment that they, they ate of the fruit that was forbidden, they came to a new realisation, knowing good and evil. And it was never intended that they should know that. They were in a state of innocence, then they were in a state of fallenness. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall die. So the first consequence was a death in the human heart. Something happened. Every time we sin... Death touches our heart in some way. I remember hearing the testimony of a, 
a terrorist. I believe it was in South America. And he said that the first time I killed anybody, I went and I was ill. I was physically ill. I just felt so bad. But now I've killed so many people, doesn't bother me. I, I can just shoot somebody, doesn't even worry me, go home and have a good sleep. What has happened to this man? His conscience, and Hebrews talks about this, has been seared with a burning iron. And I don't know if you, you've ever burnt yourself and damaged your, the end of your fingers, the nerve endings. You, you can damage your nerve endings, and maybe it's a little bit like uh, someone who's a quadriplegic or a paraplegic, and they can't feel anything in certain parts of their body. And you can go up and stick a pin in and they just can't feel anything. We can have our conscience like that. We can be doing things that God has forbidden to a point where our conscience is so seared that we don't feel guilt anymore. How sad that is. I had a, uh, a young man in Newcastle in a church I pastored who was a fantastic pianist. He, could just, he had a master's degree in music and he would lead the worship and play each Sunday and he was just wonderful. And then one day I had a call from him and he said, can you come and spend a couple of hours with me? So he was in retreat, so I went and spent some time with him and he said, look, I, I'm feeling an inclination towards, and I'll put it in my words, becoming a homosexual. And so we talked and we prayed And he knew it it was wrong. Well, 30 years later, sadly enough, he's immersed in the gay scene. He's married a man. And he's written a PhD on can you be a Christian and a gay? And he got a doctorate for that. And it is so sad because this man had such a God-given talent in music that was wasted how sad it is, his heart had become so hard that you twist the scriptures. You manipulate them so that they come into alignment with what you believe about certain things. The first consequence of the sin of Eve and of Adam was that their heart was changed. And the sad aspect of this, as well as for them personally, is it opened up the floodgates for all of humanity down through history. It didn't take long before Cain kills Abel. So where did that come from? That came from the sin of Adam and Eve. We've been infected. The human heart is the first casualty of our sin. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Isn't that interesting? Because we tend to want to be positive and say, Oh, people are lovely. People are by nature good, aren't they? Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we are desperately wicked. That's why we need a saviour. That's why I need Jesus, because if without Jesus, I'm going to go off the track and do whatever I want. 
manipulate and abuse and control. I need a saviour because my heart is desperately sick and wicked and deceitful. That word's interesting, isn't it? Deceitful. And the greatest amount of deception in the world is self-deception. We've deceived ourselves thinking we're good. No, we are fallen sinful men and women that need a saviour. And when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and our saviour, we are translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It's something that God does. And Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So the first consequence of sin was that the heart was changed. It became guilty and shameful and fearful. And we'll look at some of those next week. But everything else flowed out of that. The words that we speak, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. To Eve, the forbidden fruit looked free. There would be no consequences for eating it. And that's what the serpent said, you won't die. I found this uh, sticker and it said, free cheese is always available in mousetraps. And that's so true. If we think something that God has forbidden is going to be free without consequence, there's always a trap. And so just drawing these together as we close, we see these first three stages. Adam and Eve, David, Achan were in the wrong place. They saw, they coveted, and they took things that were forbidden by God, thinking there'd be no consequence or what God said would be a consequence, would not really be as bad as they thought. And then finally, the third stage was that the heart was changed. They knew something they didn't know before. They were both naked before, and it wasn't an issue. But after sin, it became an issue. Why? Because the heart was changed. And so what they saw after that was completely changed. And it's very interesting, if you read on through Genesis, it says that that Cain was not made in the image of God, he was made in the image of Adam, his father. A distorted image of God. Still, yes, we have the image of God within us, but in a sinful state, it's distorted, it's corrupted. So as we look at this, hopefully this can be an encouragement to not go this way, to be aware of how the enemy uses the world and the things of the world to entice us away. And sometimes, I always believe this, if, if temptation and sin were not enjoyable, we wouldn't do it. Like if, if Satan came to us and said, <clears throat> I want you to put your hand on that burning hot plate, you'd say, that's not going to be enjoyable. But it's always something that's enjoyable. Eve saw the fruit. It was desirable. It was good for food. It's going to make you wise. David looks at Bathsheba and said, wow, she is so beautiful. Achan looked at the spoils, the beautiful Babylonian garment and the the gold and the silver, and he thought, oh, surely God wouldn't want me to destroy such beautiful things. I'll just take them and keep them. The temptation's always with things that appear to be, and that's the key thing, appear to be beautiful and good. Satan never tempts us with things that we think, oh, that wouldn't be very good. 
And then finally, the heart change that takes place within us when that happens. But isn't it good news? It says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And that's the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ, that even when we do enter into sin, God forgives us. So I hope that would encourage you today to think about these first three stages of the way that we shouldn't go. And next week, we'll look at the next two. So let's, let's pray together. Loving Father, we thank you that you've given us an example in your word in Eve and Adam and David and Achan of things that are helpful for us as we journey in our Christian faith, the things that we need to be aware of, the pitfalls that we can avoid because you've shown us in your word how devastating is the impact upon our life when we choose to go that way. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word. And we commit ourselves to you and pray that you, by by the, the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help us in our daily walk, that we would be aware of the, the strategy of the enemy so that we don't go down this pathway. In the precious name of Jesus.